Hello and a very warm welcome to Brailcast, your podcast keeping our finger on the latest developments with the world's favourite tactile reading system. Coming up this time... Print world has changed and continues to change. 20 years ago you'd hardly ever see a hash sign. We catch up with all the latest news from last month's UCAF AGM. We explore some of the issues facing blind students who need Braille in higher education. And we debate the value of the survey from the International Council on English Braille. But before any of that, Matthew has your Braille news. CNIB has begun shipping the Orbit Reader, the new affordable refreshable Braille display announced last year by Orbit Research, to those who placed pre-orders in Canada. Shipments from APH in North America and RNIB in the UK are expected in the coming weeks, with APH selling a limited number at the NFB and ACB conventions this month. Meanwhile, another affordable Braille display is in the works. InnoVision have released the BrailleMe refreshable Braille display, promising the digital world at your fingertips in Braille. While details remain sketchy, they are taking pre-orders from their website, InnoVisionTech.co. The Braille Institute in Los Angeles recently hosted the finals of this year's Braille Challenge, a national competition in the US. The two-stage contest is designed to motivate blind students to emphasise their study of Braille, while rewarding their achievements through fun-filled, challenging events. The top 50 students from over 40 local heats convened on Saturday the 17th of June, where the best performers received awards for their accomplishments. To find out more about the competition, including the full list of the 2017 winners, click through to the Braille Institute's link from our website or the show notes. Apple have released the first public beta build of iOS 11, and Braille users have discovered some welcome enhancements. James Oates has already released a guide to the new features being tested in preparation for an autumn official release. You can read James's list of Braille commands in iOS 11 and detailed steps on how to customise them from the Cool Blind Tech website, details in the show notes. A Harvard graduate has invented a new device which can help with teaching Braille to children. Alex Tavares, a recent graduate of the Harvard Graduate School of Education, is working on the Read Read machine, a touchscreen-based tablet which also comes with a series of Braille tiles for representing a Braille alphabet. The machine can read aloud the Braille symbols shown by the tiles as they are touched. The tiles can also be rearranged or moved to any area along the bottom of the device where words may be assembled. The final design will also feature embossed braille on the tiles themselves. Finally, July is the height of exhibition season in North America and Europe, with the NFB, ACB and Site Village conferences each offering manufacturers the chance to showcase their latest developments. If you'll be attending an exhibition, there's a new Braille product you're keen to get your hands on, or you'd like to share your thoughts on what you find, please email us at news at brailcast.com. James Bowden is the Reading Services Product Manager for Braille with RNIB. Matthew Horspool is the VI Resources Technician at Exall Grange School, transcriber to you and me. First of all, I'm going to come to you, James. The Braille Essay Writing Competition, the deadline for that has now passed. Did anyone enter? Yes, we had 16 entries this year, which is up. 
and the standard of writing was very high. So what happens next? So the UK judges have met and they have selected five essays to go forward to represent the UK at the European level. And the European judges now deliberate and will announce the winners at the end of September. So if people missed out on the deadline this time, can we expect there'll be another um, Braille essay contest in 2018? Oh, yes, I hope so. The competition has been running, I believe, for is it 11 years. So we're quite hopeful it should be running again next year. And you can find out all the latest information about the essay competition by visiting www.rnib.org.uk forward slash essay. And can people read the essays on there? Yes, they can. The successful entries will be posted. Brilliant. Okay. Now, the UK Association of Accessible Formats recently held their annual general meeting and conference in London. And before we talk about the day itself, Matthew, do you want to just tell us a little bit about UCAF? Yeah, okay. So UCAF was formed in 2009, and um, it's sort of an organisation for producers of accessible formats for mostly for producers, actually, but we do have a few consumers as well. And the point is to try and bring people together and out of that comes standards. So we have a minimum standard for Braille and a minimum standard for audio and a minimum standard for large print. And um, because we've got lots of people together in one place, we have some pulling power. So we work on, you know, working with exam boards as a single body rather than every individual transcriber going to the exam boards separately. And so its main point is to produce standards and then out of that standard comes guidance And so it's UCAF's job, as far as Braille is concerned, to represent the UK on the International Council on English Braille. Um, UCAF was the body that took the decision to adopt UEB, and UCAF was the organisation that looked after the implementation of UEB and, you know, goes back to Braille translation software when it's not doing its job properly and things like that. Okay, so let's talk a bit about the uh, conference and AGM. Braille did get a mention a couple of times. Firstly, in response to the presentation that we heard from Open University. Yeah, the Open University didn't bring many Braille people along. In fact, they didn't bring any Braille people along. So Braille came up in a question and answer session. But um, what came out of that presentation for me was the electronic format that they use, which is an XML-style format, can produce Braille and large print and audio and everything from the same file. And the lecturers have to submit their material in that XML-formatted file. And that, to me, is a big deal because it means that if somebody does want Braille, the transcription process would be a lot quicker because the information's already in the format that the transcriber needs to get the work done. And you yourself delivered an interesting presentation about your experiences as a student at university reading uh, computer science, was it? Yeah, I studied um, a bit of computer science about five or six years ago. Why do you think it is Braille access to those subjects is still, it seems, problematic in higher education? I think possibly because of a lack of understanding as much as anything else. One of the things I touched on in the presentation is that the university itself probably would have been quite happy or at least able to provide Braille resources for me. But in order to get support at university, you have to apply for something called Disabled Students Allowance and you have an assessment carried out by an independent assessor that's not your university generally, although it can be, 
and they have to decide what support you need and they have to recommend uh, suppliers of that support. And my DSA assessment didn't actually recommend that I get any Braille. James, you studied uh, computing, if I'm right, at uh, Cambridge. Uh, yes, it's a well-kept secret, but yes, I did. So what's your take on all of this? Certainly, when Matthew was speaking at the conference, I certainly recognised several of the problems that Matthew mentioned. The one for me was lecturers not actually reading out what they were writing on the board. That was the big one for me. But uh, certainly when I was studying, I think, Matthew, you said the same thing, is it was before UEB really kicked in, in my case, quite a long way before UEB kicked in. And there was no real way to transcribe Braille back into print, especially when it was maths. No, and that's an interesting point, actually. It's all well and good having the resources in Braille. But again, I said in the presentation, how do you do your coursework? Because I was a blind school person, and I'm sure James was a blind school person was, as well. And yeah. yeah. And so we're quite used to doing our maths coursework in Braille. But if we'd have done that, then how would the lecturer have understood it? How do we improve it? Thinking about students starting in uh, September this year or next year, how can we make things yep. better for those guys? Yep. So I think the same actually is true now. Although we do have many more official standards like MathML, like MathType, like LaTeX, etc. And although transcription programs have come a huge way in the last you know, 20 years, certainly, there are still things which they can't cope with, not easily. So matrices and three and two dimensional layout is always difficult. Tables generally is always difficult. If you even write something in MathML, will your translation program cope with MathML? Or do you need to translate it into a, a different format before you can feed it to your translation program? What do people need to do? I think for me, I hate to harp on about it, but it really does come back to the assessment level. There are problems. The job of the DSA assessment is to decide what those problems are and how those problems are going to get sorted out. And no matter how difficult the problem is, if you had a good DSA assessment that said you're going to have problems getting print into Braille, then the DSA assessment could recommend that X amount of, of the budget goes to, and bear in mind there's a £20,000 budget, so a few thousand perhaps isn't very much, especially if you're an independent person generally, a few thousand pounds could go to a transcription company, of which there are several, and the company could do the print to Braille for you. And the DSA assessment could stipulate, if it needed to, that it was going to be in UEB, or prior to UEB, it would be in British Braille or Marburg Maths or, or Nemeth or whatever it was. And the other question, Matthew, was about a point you made in your presentation that you're prescribed a certain number of hours a week note-taking but those people do not have to be skilled Braillists. No, there was no stipulation in the DSA assessment that the note taker had to know the subject or the note taker had to know Braille. And look, that's not a rare case, but equally, I, I know students who have had that. I know a student who does languages and she, I'm pretty sure in her DSA assessment report, it was stipulated that the note taker had to be fluent in Spanish. So why we couldn't have it specified that the note taker had to be fluent in maths, I don't know. One of the best things I ever did at university was to actually get readers in my second year. A notice went up somewhere and invited people on my course, would you help me get some notes and so on. And I was very happy that the powers that be were able to make that modification in my second year. 
There was some good news for users of RNIB's Bookshare service, which is a library for schools, essentially. James, um, we're going to be able to put Braille files on there pretty soon. That's right. So you already can get Braille files from Bookshare. What happens is the EPUB file, which is the source material, gets translated on the fly into Braille. The good news that was mentioned was from January next year, they hope to actually be able to source native Braille files. And that gives us the added benefit of having various technical codes or interesting formats or special layouts already to go on Bookshare. So that's an important distinction, quick and dirty Braille, where the translation has happened on the fly versus a professionally prepared, well-formatted Braille file. And that's what's coming. Absolutely. So with quick and dirty Braille, as, as we call it, you know, it, it's like the difference between reading Braille from a Braille display, from a screen reader, and you might occasionally get the odd weird thing or the odd strange sign or the odd error here and there versus reading it from a transcriber who's been through it, checked everything properly and made sure it's all nice and beautiful, etc., etc. And the other point is the mixed mode of Braille, if you like. So, for example, you could have a music book there with Braille music in it, or you could have a, a maths book with various math formulae in it. Some of these things, some of the on-fly translators can't do so well. There's a lot of small stuff that it can't do, and that also, I think, makes the difference between a polished transcription and a quick and dirty one. So how it knows, for example, where to make volume divisions, and how do we find out quickly what information has appeared in what volume? The front cover page doesn't look like a front cover page. I mean, it's a really silly thing, isn't it? But if you've got a book, then you want the front cover to tell you what you need to know and not what you don't need to know. Well, I, that's that right. get sorted out. And you don't I mean, want one, it repeated three times either. And one of the things I find, you know, when I'm reading from a mainstream ebook uh, reading app is, you know, it'll say something like chapter one, and then the prose will just kind of start almost in the next cell, you know, and I'm not clear, does this, is this the title of the chapter or is this the first sentence yeah. of the first paragraph of the chapter? And the running, that's because the running it hasn't heads, been formatted um, correctly in the source. Exactly. So it's important for us all to be aware of the um, the pros and cons of um, quick and dirty Braille versus, you know, well-formatted, professionally produced Braille. I recently heard about Blind Bookshelf, an Australian website where you can download out-of-copyright books and poems in BRF. The UK Association for Accessible Formats is a member of the International Council on English Braille. And uh, James, you were able to make a couple of announcements. That's right. So there were three announcements which were made. First of all, the International Council on English Braille has a general assembly every four years. And in 2020, the UK has formally announced it will host that General Assembly. So last year it was in Baltimore in USA, previous to that in 2012, I think it was South Africa. And so it rotates. Prior to that, there's going to be a midterm executive in Dublin in 2018. There's all this talk about ICEB and it's all been in America and South Africa and Australia and places where we can't get to for ages and ages and ages and ages. And it's a good opportunity for people in the UK to come as an observer. You don't have to be a delegate. It's on people's doorsteps. They can come to this meeting and actually find out what happens at the top level. International level. Perhaps yeah. So at, at the international conference, you get 
all the different ICEB countries gathered together in one place, talking about the issues which are affecting them and presenting papers on various different subjects. And uh, observers are welcome. Excellent. And so if people are interested to know what goes on at an ICEB conference, or perhaps they want to come along, what should they do? So at the moment, things are a very early stage. But if you watch the UCAF website, ukaaf.org, you'll find out. Okay, thanks very much. So there was a third uh, thing, James, that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, the third thing, ICEB currently have an active survey looking for input from anybody who's interested in Braille. You don't have to be a touch Braille reader. All about the thrilling subject of apostrophes and single quotes. Now, in print, the apostrophe is exactly the same as the closing single quote. So it's one symbol for two meanings. Whilst in Braille, we've got two different symbols, one for the apostrophe and one for the closed single quote, and they're very different. So ICEB are trying to gather opinions about whether to change either or both of those symbols to make it easier to transcribe and get correct Braille straight away. Now, there's two main advantages for doing that. First of all, if you're a manual transcriber, you won't be spending so much time fixing it if it gets it wrong. And secondly, if you're a screen reader or a Braille note taker user, then you'll get more correct Braille straight away. You can find the document at the International Council on English Braille's website. That's iceb.org. It's right at the top of the page. And there's a, a link to a Survey Monkey survey. And it's open till the end of July. OK, so, Matthew, you've got a view on this. What I want to get to the bottom of is whether the problem that we're trying to solve with apostrophes is a Braille problem or whether it's a more overarching problem than just simply a Braille problem. So the problem has as much to do with how people type as how things look. Because an apostrophe looks the same as a closing single quote, Microsoft Word has this wonderful feature called Smart Quotes. And when you type an apostrophe, Microsoft Word tries to guess whether you mean an apostrophe or a single quote. Because there are different symbols on the computer. Internally, the computer stores them differently, even though they look the same. Is the point that Matthew's making, James, that really this shouldn't be Braille's problem to solve? It's more an issue with typography. That is true to an extent, there are some characters which are notoriously awkward for correct typography and casual documents, the apostrophe and single quote being one of them, the hyphen and the minus sign being another one, full stops and ellipses and decimal points being another one, and so on and so forth. Realistically, you're not going to solve the entire print world's problems. So the whole idea of the survey and the document and ISEB looking at this is trying to work out if we can make things easier, in a way, in Braille, given the print situation. But we've got to be careful, haven't we, that we're not overreactive, because there will be other benefits to advocating for correct typography in electronic books. Oh, we always do that anyway, at the UCAF level, at the ISEB level. But the point is, even with correct typography, your apostrophe is the still the same as your closed single quote. 
So I've noticed over the last few months, I read using a refreshable Braille display connected to my uh, smartphone or tablet. And I used to experience an issue in Kindle whereby if there was an apostrophe, you know, before an S, you know, near the end of a word, it could render as a quotation sign rather than apostrophe. And this is what ICEB are trying to address with this consultation. Have I understood that right? That is correct, yes. Yeah. So we've addressed so, that that particular problem with an apostrophe in the middle okay. of the word. Right, so before you continue, then what I've noticed now is that the apostrophes look okay, even though they are single quotes according to the speech synthesizer. But what I see now is where you have a pair of opening and closing double quotes is that the opening quote is simply rendered as dots two, three, six, but the closing double quote is accurate in terms of it's a proper UEB closing double quote dots four, five, followed by dots three, five, six. So this won't solve that problem. You Perhaps see, even that is incorrect. You should match yeah. your quotes. Right. But it's unclear whether this is a Braille translation problem because the TTS reports those as a double open quote and a double close quote. That's right. So I said we'll be working with technology companies and Braille translation companies to help at the level of the software as well. The important thing is first is to try and get the rules right and then you can tell the software vendors what it should be. But your contention, Matthew, is that the rules are okay as they are. Well, I think there are ramifications to sorting it out at a level above Braille, which would help Braille out because Braille would end up being correct and it would help out a lot of other things as well. If we sorted it out so that the computer stored apostrophes and closing quotes differently, then screen readers would be able to work out what is a quote and what isn't a quote and they'd be able to perhaps, I don't know, voice quotes differently or things. There's mainstream reasons why we'd want to do that. Perhaps people would want to have that facility Perhaps Kindle books would want to find quotes from a particular person and needs to know where a quote is in a document and things like that. And I just think if we solve the quotes and apostrophes issue in Braille, we solve it for a very small minority of people. And then in 10 years time, the print world comes along, realizes it's a problem, solves it. And then Braille's got to potentially unsolve what it's just solved. It's complicated and it's messy, and I'm sure the debate will rage on. People should go to the ICB website, look at the document, and complete the survey. One final point on this, guys, and I'll come to you first, Matthew, I think. Is this a legitimate criticism that people have of Braille, that we keep tinkering with the code? Maybe. I think the problem is with Braille is that it's reactive to what print does. And so people keep tinkering with print, but they tinker with it in pockets and then gradually it sort of works out and gradually it becomes a trend. If you go back 10, 15, 20 years ago, how many people typed an apostrophe for a quotation mark? You know, a lot of people would have typed a shift in two. And gradually there's been this shift towards people using the apostrophe. And so... Braille's now got to legislate some way how that Braille code should do. So I, I can understand why the criticism of, is there, but I don't think you're comparing apples with apples. James, do we mess about think, with Braille too much? I think Matthew's absolutely right. Print world has changed and continues to change. 20 years ago, you'd hardly ever see a hash sign, for example. There wasn't even a Braille sign for hash or bullet point. 
copyright came into the Braille code only in 2004, if I remember rightly. So there are all these new symbols appearing all over the place, and you've got to be able to represent them in Braille. An actual fact, historically, Braille has always changed. Um, 1932, there was a conference. There were changes in the 1960s, I understand. There were changes in the 1980s and 1990s and 2000s. It's always changing. James Bowden from RNIB uh, and Matthew Horspool, transcriber and um, technician and, and also part of the Brailcast team. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. If you have comments or questions about anything you've heard on Brailcast, or maybe you've got a suggestion for a future episode, you can send us an email to news at brailcast.com or tweet at Brailcast. From me, Dave Williams, and the rest of the Brailcast team, until next time, bye for now. Thank you.